Well, you're back at the Faculty Factory podcast. Thanks, everybody. I'm really happy to welcome Dr. Bill Mallon today. Hi, Bill. Hello, Kim. Well, folks, you have heard Kevin Grigsby, Dr. Kevin Grigsby, at least two, maybe three times by now on the Faculty Factory podcast. Super smart guy, talks all about leadership. And finally, he's like, Kim, you got to get Bill Mallon on the podcast because they've written a bunch of books together. So you might want to Google Dr. William T. Mallon. He and Kevin have written lots of books on leadership. And, you know, we all love leadership. Dr. Mallon is the author of The Handbook of Academic Medicine, How Medical Schools and Teaching Hospitals Work, a co-author of Leading, Top Skills, Attributes, and Behaviors that are Critical for Success, AAMC's all-time best-selling management and leadership publication. So lots of really rich content and wisdom from Dr. Bill Mallon. Let me tell you who he is exactly. Bill is the Senior Director of Strategy and Innovation Development at the Association of American Medical Colleges. In his role, Dr. Mallon's responsible for strategy development, strategic foresight, implementation of the AAMC strategic plan, strategy performance metrics, and organizational innovations. Do you get a keyword there? Bill is all about strategy, very strategic. So again, thanks for being here, Bill. And I'm going to do a little teaser about the topic today. And let me get to this because I loved reading this article. Everybody, let me tee this up for you. Something, something, this is a blank spot here, will affect every aspect of healthcare and academic medicine. This thing, something, something, will affect the types and frequencies of disease and disabilities, patterns of practice and specialization, access to care, the focus and funding of research, calls for community action, curricula, and student activism, and this thing will be affecting the sustainability of healthcare and educational facilities. Do you know what that thing is? Pause, 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 something, something, and we'll let Bill tell you what that something, something is. It's climate change, Kim. Dun, 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 climate change. This is so cool. No one has talked about this in the podcast. If you wouldn't mind, Bill, can you lead us up to, because you started off at Harvard, all this research work, Geisel, how did you get to climate change and how did you weave that in with academic medical centers? How did you get to the point of this is something important? Great question. And thanks for having me. I am a latecomer. I cannot claim being a climate activist. I'm a climate newbie. I'll answer that question in two ways. First is, how did it come onto our strategy radar at the AAMC? And as you referenced earlier, one of the things I do at the AMC is I lead the organization through what we call environmental scanning and strategic foresight. In other words, looking down the road and seeing what topics and issues might be affecting the community and the AMC uh, tomorrow and in two years and in five years and in 10 years. So it's a lot of deep reading and looking in different industries and trying to make connections. And we had, the AMC had a new strategic plan that came out after our current CEO, uh, Dr. David Scorton, arrived in 2019. And we had a big strategic plan as part of that process. And then we did a follow-up where we identified three, what we called future forces. And climate change, we identified in that process, in that analysis as an escalating force. 
And we use that term very intentionally because we didn't want to make any claims that it was an emerging force. We all know climate change has been emerging for three decades or longer, but rather it felt like it was reaching a point where it was entering in the, into the consciousness and conversations of uh, every day in academic medical centers. And so we felt like we really had to pay greater attention to it. So that's kind of the strategy angle where that came from for strategy. But there's a personal angle for me as well. I happen to be married to someone who's worked in environmental policy her, her whole career. And she has been, in fact, a climate activist for a long, long time. And, and so I had this personal connection where I, I have been very, very aware of these issues because of the conversations we have around the dinner table. I have an 18-year-old who is passionate about climate change. And I will say, I feel myself being old in saying this statement, but it is <laughs> my kid's generation that's going to have to live with this devastating impact for their whole lives. And so I've, I've kind of felt a, a personal call because of his passion as well. So, so when this issue kind of came up through our own kind of strategic foresight process, it just felt like the, the, a good time and the right time and actually past time to do it. Wow, Bill, thank you for sharing that story. And I just would love to amplify what you said, because I like these two arms. And it's a nice reminder for us. First of all, I'll go backwards. This personal connection you mentioned with your wife and your son, that personal connections with people in our lives can be the genesis of wonderful projects. And I think that's so important too, that we can't underestimate that personal connection. Now on the heels, three years now of COVID and people kind of going within and not being in community with each other, that that to me is makes me nervous, makes me anxious about us not connecting with each other and having these one-off conversations or learning about things that, as you admitted, I'm a latecomer to this. This was not really on my radar. Had it not been for my wife or my son, this might not have been a seed that would have been planted. So you wonder, I can't help but wonder, in my space, as I sit here talking to you from my basement for three years, what are we missing when we are not in community with these, these opportunities to have a conversation. I'm not talking about there are people in the hospital now who are thinking, I'm in the community all the time. I never stop, Kim. I'm, I'm in the hospital, but you're in the hospital running 150 miles an hour. And do you really ever stop to go, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on in your life? And have a aha moment. I don't, I think that's really important that that might be the, to me, the next environmental change happening with this going inward and missing that human, that connection. So thank you for, for highlighting that and bringing in your life to, we're all human beings. That's how like some of these projects are, are kicked off and ignited by being in communion with each other. And then the first thing you said, I like that you kind of step through a methodology of doing an environmental scan, having strategic foresight. You talked about, you said deep reading and looking at other industries. So this is a perfect setup for how does, you might be asking yourself listening to Dr. Bill Mallon, well, how would I go about finding the thing? A scan, environmental scanning is what's happening in the world. Take a quick poll, if you will, thinking deeply and by reading and looking what's happening in other fields. So that's a really good, quick methodology to 
How do you do a literature review? How do you how do you scan the system? What is the finger of the pulse? What is going on? And that might point to the next big thing. So I just wanted to thank you for that. And I'll let you tell us about how climate change is impacting us and what you found in your important study. Thanks. And and so maybe we could, I thought about talking about this in, in like four steps, if you will. So talk a little bit about what the problem is. I don't think we need to go into great depth there. Hopefully all your listeners already know it, but just to kind of highlight a few uh, points. Talk a little bit about the current state, which is the the report you referenced, and then talk a little bit about what the roadmap is for change. Like, what are we as an academic medicine community going to do about it? And then finally, because I know this is a podcast on faculty development, there is a faculty development opportunity here for sure. So maybe we can talk a little bit about that. The great irony for me is that the health sector, broadly speaking, and academic medicine in particular, whose mission is to protect and improve health. The irony is that without any action, we are making a major contribution to the climate crisis, which arguably is the greatest health threat of the 21st century. And therefore, our community has an important role to play in resolving it. We are contributing to the very problem that we also are trying to address. And so uh, just a little bit about like what that actually looks like. So so researchers estimate that the health sector is responsible for 10 percent of greenhouse gas emissions in the United States and a quarter of all healthcare greenhouse gas emissions globally. So if the U.S. health sector were a country, we would admit more greenhouse gas emissions than the United Kingdom. And maybe that's not a surprise given the nature of the business we're in, right? Our facilities are always on. They're never shut down and they're very energy intensive. So given the large contribution of the health sector to climate pollution, increasingly policymakers and thought leaders and the public and students and faculty are pressuring us to reduce that climate pollution. So that's one part of the problem. And in case folks are wondering, like, well, where does that climate pollution come from? Uh, The majority of it in the health sector is from energy consumption. So direct emissions that come out of our facilities or what they call indirect emissions, which is purchased energy. That's about 30 percent of the energy emissions. And then the other 70 percent is is from the supply chain. And so for folks who are in in the business of climate change that's scope three is through production and transportation and use and disposal of all of the goods and services that our sector consumes. There's other contributions of climate emissions in in academic medicine, food and agriculture, not only the food that we serve to our patients and community, but interestingly, sometimes you don't think about the cotton that's needed in surgical gowns. That's an oh, agricultural contribution of the sector, right? Oh, Bill, um, you're going to make, I can feel this is, you're going to be making us think way too hard on these things. This is yeah. something. Well, wow. well, this is, this is why it's, it's complex, right? So, yeah. so there's also transportation, you know, the fleet vehicles that are in our facilities, waste treatment, anesthetic gases in the OR, con- huge contribution to climate change. So it's, it's multi-factor and it's complex. So the problem is on the one hand, contributions of global uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And then the problem, on the other hand, is 
the impact of that climate pollution on human health, which is the business that we're in, right? So academic medical centers increasingly are addressing and understanding and addressing that to achieve better health for patients and communities, they need to go beyond traditional clinical care and address social and economic determinants of health, right? We, we've been talking about this for a long time. And a key factor on health is where you live, mm. the environment that you live in. And so things like pollution and heat and natural disasters and exposure to hazardous waste, all of that negatively impact health. We know that, right? So the way that people in this space uh, at the intersection between health and climate change talk about it is that climate change is a threat multiplier for a host of diseases and disabilities and, and conditions. It's really, really broad. And so there's a fantastic person at Harvard, Renee Salas, who's a, an ER physician and a very prolific researcher in this space. And she talks about applying a climate lens onto the delivery of care and the operation of our academic medical centers. So in other words, if, if you apply that climate lens onto everything we do, it allows physicians and students and residents and other health professionals and our leaders to see those interconnections between the environment and health and justice and equity and resilience of communities. Once yeah. you apply that lens, you can't unapply it. You can't unsee it. And, and it's everywhere. Oh. And so that's why this issue is, is, for me, such an important one, because it pervades everything that we do. And it, it affects the ability to meet our missions across those mission areas. Yeah, that's genius. I, I love that. I was just when you started talking about this, the threat multiplier, I can't help but think here at Hopkins in Baltimore, the I was thinking, and this must disproportionately impact our community's vulnerable populations. Absolutely. And then you went there right away because that's the beauty of how these things are overlay each other and how fixing one thing can't help but fix something else. So it, to, to me, this seems like maybe you said earlier, maybe we're, we're behind the ball on this, but health equity and social justice issues, this is like right smack dab in that lane. Right smack dab in that lane. And I would characterize academic medicine as not being behind the ball. I mean, in, in one sense, we're all behind the ball, right? Like right. we're all decades and decades slow in addressing this. We're, we are so close to reaching a point where it's going to be catastrophic. And, and, and I don't want to go to the doom and gloom scenarios, but it's, it's a significant problem. So we're all behind the ball. That being said, when we think about the health sector's response and who's doing what, I would make the argument that academic medical centers are actually in, in the vanguard, it, it, which actually leads us to the, the report yeah. that you referenced earlier. So my colleague, Natalia Cox, and I uh, did some work over last summer in the summer of 2022 and released a report in the fall called Climate Action in Academic Medicine. And basically, it's an overview of how medical schools and teaching hospitals and health systems are responding to climate change. And what we found was actually surprising to me in a very encouraging way. More than 50% of teaching hospitals and health systems and more than 80% of medical schools and their parent universities are taking definitive steps to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and pursue other climate actions. 
that was very encouraging. I didn't expect it to be that high already. Yeah, but it is. Um, I didn't know. I didn't know. I was so surprised when I read that too, Bill. I was like, you're kidding me. And that I think is so important that as a reminder of to us as faculty members that we're not always aware, I guess, when what what conversations are happening behind curtains or at higher levels. And so it gives me a little bit of a pause to be more merciful to say, well, we don't, I don't know what all is happening. And yet also it gives me a little bit of a courageous followership tone posture to say, well, how come I don't know about things? This may be an opportunity to communicate these because there probably are a lot of subpopulations and communities in our health centers who would want to know this and be involved in this. Yeah, absolutely. And and I think increasingly it's going to be a groundswell of students and residents and graduate students and faculty and staff who are pushing for that. In fact, that was one of the findings from this report. There were three things I think your listeners will find interesting in addition to the overall percentage of activity. What we heard from teaching hospital CEOs and medical school deans is that they are increasingly paying attention to climate change because of the values of their students, residents, and younger members of their workforce. So so in other words, what they are hearing is that young people, young professionals, and learners want to be associated and work at institutions that care deeply about climate change and uh, and share that value. And so this is not only a imperative for health, and it surely is that, it's an imperative for recruitment and retention, right? Oh, because yeah. people want to know that their organizations are on the right side of this issue and they're taking action to improve the health of their patients and their own families and the communities in which they live. And that's hugely important. Bill, beautifully said. That's that's so we in our leadership courses, we talk about personal values and how when your values are misaligned, like Tate Chanavelt tells us in burnout, you're more likely to burn out. So that you're exactly right. The literature is pointing to recruiting, retaining, promoting, building, developing future leaders is grounded in aligning personal values with the organizational values. So that's beautiful. And I, that's another brilliant like way that this is all together. Like you can't disentangle this from values. And it's absolutely. A- and on that very point, we also ask those leaders, like, why are you doing this? <laughs> because there's a million things that super busy leaders could be focusing their attention on, right? And they have to make those choices every day. And universally, when we asked that question, what we heard was, that institutionally they're focusing on climate change because first and foremost, it's aligned with the institution's mission to improve health. And so, and that, which goes back to, you know, where we started, like these organizations cannot meet their mission of improving health if they are contributing to the very problem that causes environmental harm, right? So, so there's a there's an absolute values and mission alignment in this space, uh, which I think makes it very very exciting. And and then the third thing I think your uh, listeners will find of interest, uh, and this goes to the curricular side of things, is in the last three years alone, what we found is that the percentage of medical schools that have required curriculum on the health effects of climate change has doubled. Wow. So three years ago, it was 27% of medical schools that had 
a required pre-clerkship or clerkship topic. And and last year it was 55%. So that's super encouraging. I think that's a trend that's in absolutely in the right direction. Um, and I certainly would anticipate that that percentage will continue to go up in the next few years. Yeah, just like, like you talked about the social and economic de- determinants of health and rightly so that for decades, I'm my, my roots are in sociology and my whole career has been spent around looking at the social determinants of late life depressive symptomatology comparing between black and white older Americans. And I remember getting annoyed just like 10 years ago. I'm like, how, how long are we going to keep documenting that there are disparities? Why do we keep talking about there are disparities here, disparities there, disparities here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are we going to do about it? So I, I grew very impatient with publication after publication documenting the healthcare disparities. And so similarly, uh, where, what, who's doing like what? What are the things that we can do? Because I, I love how you've just, you know, pointed out my ignorance. I'm thinking when I think about climate change and I immediately go to the multicolored garbage cans in, in the hallways at work. And I go to things like, well, we're not pluming big dark dust balls and black smoke in the air. I'm so ignorant about how you just pointed to the, down to the cotton that we use in our, the scrubs. And the anesthesia or whatever you said, the anesthetic, I don't know. what Anesthetic gases, yeah. I mean, I, I I don't know anything about that. So what what are we doing? Who's doing some cool stuff? In addition to changing the curriculum and raising awareness that it is, what can we do? Or what are these deans and these teaching hospitals and medical centers? What are some like the, the new cool things that we as faculty members can then maybe get involved in our home institutions or encourage our institutions to do? Yeah, yeah. There are so many exciting things going on around the country at different medical centers. And there's just lots of great examples and documented case studies. So for folks who are listening to this and get excited or are already involved in some way and and simply want to extend that involvement, there's lots of great resources and guides and, and primers about how to get started. And everything from very big, significant capital projects. So that's one category, right? Like think about our facilities and particularly with some of our organizations, they have very gated facilities with inefficient HVAC systems and, and high energy usage and things like that. So, so there are very big capital projects and example after example after example, perhaps some at your own institution. And, and, and I know at many institutions of folks who are listening to this, where they are building green buildings that are LEED certified that have very low energy usage. And, and that's, you know, passive heating and passive cooling and, and use of solar and even rooftop gardens and things like that. Like there's really cool things in the built environment space, if you will. And those big projects are, are sometimes there's opportunities for faculty and staff and students to get involved in that in kind of an advisory way. But that's, you know, kind of the there's a there are professionals in our organizations that kind of handle that right uh-huh. but there are so many other ways that folks can get involved uh, when we when we're talking about how to reduce greenhouse gas emissions because that's as we said earlier that's one of the big things we need to address there are lots of examples where addressing things like energy efficiency and use of supplies and reduction of the number and reduction of the use of disposables and addressing the 
energy efficiency and energy usage of, for example, the OR. A lot of those examples are, are coming from the very people on the ground that see those problems every single day, right? So lots of really interesting work being done by the anesthesiology community in addressing the carbon footprint of the OR, as well as, 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 well as surgery and all of the folks who are involved in that process. So it can come from so many different places. I'll, I'll give you another example, which, which we spoke to earlier, around food. So there, there's this fantastic organization that folks are not aware of it. It's called Practice Green Health. You can find them at practicegreenhealth.org. They are a hospital membership association, and they focus specifically on helping hospitals and a very large number of academic medical centers on sustainability issues. And they've got a wealth of resources in every single component of this problem. And one of the things they do that I love is they feature how executive chefs and nutritionists at academic medical centers and other health facilities are using good practices to introduce plant-based meals into their facilities, to grow their own gardens and have locally so and, and and rely on locally sourced food. It's just really exciting stuff in that in that space too. So there are there are so many things that that folks can do regardless of where they are within an organization. Yeah, I'm looking at this practicegreenhealth.org site, Bill. You're right. It's amazing. Clean med checkup, climate checkup, cost of ownership calculators, sustainability benchmark reports, the Green Health Academy, cohort groups. This is amazing. Yeah. And there will be a good number. I forget the, the exact figure. But there's something like 50 or 75 academic medical centers that are already members of this organization. So it, it could be that for a lot of your listeners, they have access to those resources because their their organization's already a member. So, so that's on the, the decarbonization side. There's just so much that, that can be done there. A second area is within the medical education and, and, and curricular space, right? And that I think right. is probably going to be more familiar to a lot of folks who are in faculty development, because it's a similar process in, in introducing any new curricular issue, right? I will say that it seems like, to me, at least from my vantage point, that students are driving a lot of that change now. There's this uh, great organization, completely student-led, called uh, Medical Students for a Sustainable Future, that is really leading a lot of a groundswell of, of change in this space. So that's one area. Another area, and you talked about this earlier, we talked about this earlier, is the relationship between climate change and environmental justice. So as you said, from your perspective, you know, at Hopkins and Baltimore, it, it gets played out in, I'd say, every single community where there's an academic medical center is that we know from data and from evidence that vulnerable communities, under-resourced communities suffer more greatly the effects of climate change than other other communities. And so I, our organizations have an obligation and are already in, in many ways being really good partners with other community organizations in addressing those issues. And then, then finally, for practicing clinicians and for researchers, there's a connection between their daily practice and climate, right? So for clinicians, incorporating climate smart solutions into their clinical practice. For example, you know, secondary diagnoses. 
climate change is a diagnosis, uh, diagnosis. And um, so for folks who are, are in the research space and thinking about their individual practice when, when they're in the lab, and there's a lot that can be done in, in that realm as well. Gosh, Bill, this is amazing. Dr. Bill Mallon, did you ever, uh, folks, did you ever think that this, another opportunity for us to make change and to bring in something that we just take advantage of and don't think about. I love how these nuggets of wisdom and events kind of all kind of connect. Isn't it just amazing how everything is connected? And if we can fix or just change and move the dial on one thing, they're the downstream effects of so many other things all of a sudden happen for us. What's next with what is the AAMC? Like, how are we going to take this this report, Climate Action and Academic Medicine, what are the next steps that the AAMC is is helping and leading the way? Yeah, uh, great question. So, so many uh, issues and so many topics. We have this uh, nice symbiotic relationship between uh, the AMC and our member institutions and the broader community, right? So, one of the things we like to do, and I think we do well, is amplify already at our big annual meeting, Lean, Alert, Serve, Lead. Last November, we featured climate in a very significant way as a plenary topic of conversation and then had a follow-up session after that. And we are going to have other educational sessions at meetings both this spring and then again at Learn, Serve, Lead in, in Seattle in this coming November. We are working with Practice Green Health, the organization I mentioned, other uh, and, and a few other organizations in working to coalesce and connect folks who are already working in this space in academic medical centers. So for example, there are folks who have sometimes have uh, titles like director of sustainability. And we know because they've reached out to us, like they're starting to connect informally amongst themselves. And they're looking for a way to do that in a little bit more formal structure. And so one of the things that I think is really exciting in this space is there's opportunities for organizations, national organizations like the AMC, to partner with others to give them uh, that platform. So it's not something that we need to own ourselves because it's far too big of a problem. And there's there's lots of uh, expertise already out there. We don't need to grow it ourselves. Right. So we're looking for that. I was really, really excited um, a few months ago. There's a organization related to practice green health called Healthcare Without Harm another non, uh, great nonprofit, they sponsor an annual award for medical students and residents. They call it the Emerging, Phys uh, Emerging Physician Leaders Award that specifically recognizes medical students and residents who are taking a leadership role in addressing climate and sustainability within their organizations. And so we partnered with Healthcare Without Harm this year, and we'll do so again for the next two years to sponsor that award. Yeah. Um, so in a few, in fact, in a few weeks, the next round of award winners are going to be announced, and we were thrilled to be able to do that. So we have lots going on in that space. That's a great role model, because I like how many institutions in North America, we take the AAMC platforms of 
learning opportunities, leadership programs, seminars, workshops, and we bring it down locally. So this Healthcare Without Harm Award at a national level, this is an opportunity to go, we can create that at our own institution. We can build this leadership opportunity, have a title for this, acknowledge this, lift this up, put this on our agendas, give it to our faculty senates, our governance boards, a community partnership. There's just that mere the fact that that exists on a higher level, let's bring it locally. So I think you've just yeah. given us a wonderful opportunity to think about some an easy win that we could do in our in our schools and partnering with our pu- schools of public health and nursing and engineering. But I interrupted you. So yeah. what was that? Well, no, actually, that 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 is a lot. Uh, what you just said about the connections between other health professions and other disciplines is actually a, a fantastic setup and a great segue to some resources that are out there right now that your listeners might be really interested in, resources in in a couple of cases that are AMC, and I'll note those, but that's not where I want to start. Where I want to start is an organization that's part of Columbia. It's called the Global Consortium on Climate and Health Education, which is very Googleable. So I'll say it again. It's the Global Consortium on Climate and Health Education. The director is this amazing person called Cecilia Sorensen, who's very well known in the space. And they have a wealth, a wealth of resources for folks who want would be interested in exploring this more, especially on the curricular side. So they have curriculum papers, lesson plans, modules, case studies, guides, toolkits is really a remarkable collection of things. So I would really encourage folks to check out that. Um, I mentioned earlier this organization called the uh, called Medical Students for a Sustainable Future. They have also a very good guide. It's called um, the Guide to Climate and Health Curricular Reforms in Medical Schools, just updated in 2022. So folks might want to check that out. You may have other podcasts that have podcasts that have referenced the Interprofessional Education Collaborative or IPEC had a couple of webinars on this topic on on climate and healthcare and medical education. And so the the IPEC collaborative folks can check out their recorded uh, podcasts. They may have more coming up. And then finally, uh, I'll put in a plug for my colleagues who run MedEd Portal, which is the AMC's peer-reviewed journal for teaching and learning resources. They have a call out right now for submissions where they are looking for curricular and assessment activities related to climate and health. So for folks who already have something that they've done for themselves and want to submit it for a peer-reviewed publication, there's a call out. You can find it on the MedEd Portal website. And I'd really encourage you to do that, not only to share your own expertise with the broader community, but but for folks who are looking for peer-reviewed curriculum materials, as that grows, there'll be more and more and more uh, materials that folks can check out. There's lots of great things that are already up there and available out in the internet and can be easily found with good old Google. Oh my gosh, Dr. Bill Mallon, do you folks, do you believe all the information you've just been uh, given? This is unbelievable gift. I love this. It's unfortunate that you're not very passionate about it. It's clear <laughs> that you don't care a lick about it. So maybe we'll ramp up the enthusiasm next time we talk to you. But <laughs> seriously, thanks to your wife and to your son, because they lit a fire in you that is so obvious. And thank you so much for bringing our attention to this, that report, Climate Action and Academic Medicine, on top of all your books and publications around leadership. This is this is definitely the future. And this is a wonderful opportunity to marry all of our values 
and make a difference in our communities and our society. So, wow, I'm I'm so charged up by this. Folks, go to, we're going to put a link to Dr. Bill Mallon's, this report in his profile on the facultyfactory.org. If you want to reach Dr. Mallon, his email address is wmallon, W-M-A-L-L-O-N at A-A-M-C dot org. So I hope you're as excited and enthusiastic about this as I am. This has been a great, really creative, unique contribution to this podcast. And I love how it all just ties up so nicely. I'm going to leave the last comment to you, Dr. Bill Mallon. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Kim. It's been great. That was easy, folks. Check it out next time. We'll see you on the Faculty Factory Podcast. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions. We encourage you to go to facultyfactory.org to find out more, get in touch with me, ask me any questions. Maybe you want to be interviewed on the podcast. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. We'll see you next time. The Faculty Factory podcast and website is sponsored by the Johns Hopkins University School of Medicine Office of Faculty. For more information, visit facultyfactory.org.